All he does is catch the football. That's, that is beautiful. That's why I came to West Virginia, man. Ding dong, the witch is dead in Arizona. He's a totally energized hind field, the power of the renegade song. The backyard brawl, man, against Pitt. Look at that. Oh, there's Russ Wolfley. Wow! They came after Donovan McNabb. Went after him. They played to win the game. Everybody's going bonkers, even the referees. Oh, those, those look like sticky gloves right there. We talk about 50-50. Right now it's 50-50. Who's going to get it? Game came with cover zero. Man across the board. Pick up a flag because, hey, and then with the Renegade song, even flags don't count. They're going to get an Italian army behind him right there, just like Franco Harris. My goodness. That is pure guts. Give me a pepperoni roll, man. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Three Wolves of Football. The boys from Orchard Park, the Outsiders. I'm the Wolfman, Dale Wolfley, and these are my two brothers here. We're going to start with the eldest, of course, and that would be Craig, or a.k.a. Derry. Good <laughs> evening, brother. Hello, how's everybody? All is good this thus far. And, of course, we have Roddy Paul, or Pony Boy, how are you today? Doing well. How are we oh, doing, everybody? I love when the fist notice, comes out. Do you ever notice how he's always ready to fight? He's always got that <laughs> fist up. You know, when he was young, you remember the way it was when he was young. I remember we used to torture him at times. You would get so mad, Ronnie, and and you would tell mom, you go, "I can't wait till I'm older, and then I'm going to beat him up." <laughs> you know. Yeah, Let me just to say, you got me. nothing on that. Excuse me, okay? Because for 30 straight days, we counted them, you whacked me because I said something <laughs> really s- smart to you because I was a really bad kid. Right. <laughs> I was, I was a smart aleck. But... <laughs> I was totally deserved. And I was thinking the other day, uh, before we even get into all this other stuff about uh, my favorite things that I did with each of you. And I was like, what was the favorite thing growing up? Because dad had passed away, and you two had to act kind of uh, semi-fatherish, uh, especially you, Derry, because it was your age, and you were yeah. the eldest. But you used to take me to all these movie theaters. Down there at uh, 19 there in uh, uh, Pittsburgh, and then, you know, up there. Back in, in Buffalo, too. In Buffalo, too. And we yeah. would go for three or four movies. Now, we, oh, yeah. you would pay for them because you were in the NFL, and you had money. So we were trying to, like go movie after movie and jump in. We were breaking the rules, but we, we stayed for three or four movies. I, I, I think you about remember that's one of my favorite times. The worst movie we ever saw. Yeah, it was uh, it was made in Italy, and it was the the, the, the Warriors. Or... The Sword of the Barbarian. Yeah, yes. It was <laughs> the worst movie that I've ever seen in my life. Dale what? and I went. Oh, yes. The Sword oh, of the Barbarian. You know, so, so, and, what was our connection right there? What was okay? It? All right, our connection was all the heavyweight bouts and Sugar Ray and Tommy Hearns. We used to go there on Saturday nights, and you were the only one in our family because Derry was in Pittsburgh that could afford to buy the package. So <laughs> the pay per view. So we'd all come over to your place, and again, Derry was the movies. And Pony Boy was the boxing, and we got to talk about fighting tonight. It's going to lead into to, to something else. But before wait a we minute. get to yes, wait, wait. Well, we got to talk about the Sword of the Barbarian because this <laughs> was a this was a Conan esque knockoff movie that was so bad 
that they actually filmed like you know you have a view of like a, a horse a guy on a horse riding you know straight at you you know and you know there's a camera there but you could see the tire tracks are you kidding me? The tire tracks in the ground. Remember that, Dale? Oh, it was fantasy. My and then he was rolling down a stream of one inch. Yeah. And, and he was forcing like himself to roll. He was army crawling sideways. He could act like he was being down the, the rapids were one inch. <laughs> he, he wasn't even going under the water. The water was barely making him wet. And he's like flailing about like he's in Niagara River. You know, I think it's unbelievable. <laughs> It was, oh. I kid you not, it was the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Ever, ever seen. And that, then, Pony, let's go back to you then. What was the best fight we ever watched? Oh, man. Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, right? Mm-hmm. Tommy Hearns? Yes. Sugar Ray Leonard, the first fight against Thomas Hearns, man. That was, uh, to me, that was the biggest fight. There's no doubt about it. it that was, was sensational. I saw yeah. that, too. It, it was, and uh, that one right there, that to me was the biggest fight. That's when I fell in love with Sugar Ray Leonard because he was he had the flash, of course, but he also had the, the base, the fundamentals to back up a lot of that flash. I love that. I actually have a video of Wayne Gretzky and Sugar Ray and Pele and uh, Bjorn York, the tennis star, doing a, a hundred yard dash and uh Wayne Gretzky blew him all away. Now Pele was a little bit older I think so uh God rest his soul as he passed away last week but uh Wayne Gretzky was by him faster than you guys. I have video. I'll, I'll bring it on next week. You know what's great? I remember Gordy Howe, the great Gordy Howe <laughs> said of Wayne Gretzky he said the thing you love about this kid is he plays every night like you've never he, you've never seen him before. Like he want, he came out every night like it's a Super Bowl that he wanted to show off to. I mean, I know it's hockey, but you know it's we're using metaphors from our world, you know. And it's the Super Bowl, and you want to show him, show everybody how good you are, you know. And that's one thing Gordy Hall how said about him. I remember, I thought about that man. I thought that was so cool. Actually, I got to interview Wayne Gretzky over at a a show we did over in Ohio at one of the famous uh, over by Akron there. We did a radio show from there where it was a one of those fundraisers, and they had John Elway there. But so somebody, the, the, my, one of my producers came over and says, do you want to interview so-and-so, so-and-so, or uh, Wayne Gretzky? I'm like, Gretzky, are you kidding me? Get Gretzky, get him, you know? So it, it, tremendous, yeah, tremendous guy. Just love him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we're going to move on right now. And the one thing that we want to obviously do is we want to, you know, talk about our prayers uh, you know, obviously for Damar Hamlin, we all know what went down. Everybody's been through the cycle of the initial shock, watching, you know, the, the, the players and praying for him. He's getting CPR out there and, you know, canceling the game and, and doing all the things they've gone through. And, you know, we just, I love the fact that America has responded to him and his family because it's got to it's got to be wonderful support at a really hard time. The good news is it sounds like he's improving, so let's keep praying and hoping so. But you know, Terry, it's I've never experienced this. A pony you said you, you've never experienced this type of thing being actually there on the field. But Terry, you've had two experiences. You know, um, catastrophic injuries on a football field are uh, they're huge. You know, now 
The one with Gabe Rivera, that happened in a car accident, and that wasn't on a field or field related. But we saw the aftermath of it and what that did. And he ended up uh, being paralyzed in, in a wheelchair. Uh, Ryan Shazier is another one that I was on the sidelines for. And I knew right away when Ryan made the hit, he came down, he tackled, and he dropped his head. And when he landed, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what. I mean, it was just – it was awkward looking. It was just – I never, in my mind, I never thought of it being catastrophic. I just thought, uh oh, something bad happened there. But as the doctors went out and everything, and the confirmation came when I saw Mike Tomlin's face, because Mike Tomlin loves his players, man. I'm telling you what. And when the realization of what it was settled in and sank in, um, his look of concern on his face, I'll never forget that. Uh, and it's just, I think the same way. Sean McDermott coming over to Zach Taylor and telling him, you know, I got to go to the hospital with, with, you know, with DeMar. I, I, I got to go. I can't be coaching this game. I think it says so much about, you know, we think in terms of NFL head coaches being rather stoic and, and kind of somewhat removed. Not these men. Nuh-uh. I mean, it was poignant. It was unbelievable. And it was, um, I will say this too. I, uh, I I think it, it turned into a million, maybe millions plus prayer meeting right there as we saw people kneeling in the stands. We saw people, the players kneeling and circling. We knew that the, 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 the Cincinnati Bengals went over to the Bills locker room and everything. Um, what poured out this emotion and love? And we all know, we go out there and we, we bust heads, you know, on the field. We That's the way the game was played, but Man, when one of our own is down and suddenly you're not 10 foot tall and bulletproof, all of a sudden your, your own mortality just stares you right in the eyes. It's well said, Craig. Uh, I also think, guys, that um, just the absolute frying pan to the face it was to actually see this happening out on the field live. Um, right. I know that I've, I've heard many analysts on television, of course, uh, I've heard many on radio, um, just talking to you guys as well. I, I think we all know, I, I've never seen anything like that in the game of football. I, I've never seen it. I know there have been instances, J.B. Kane, by way of example, the tight end for the St. Louis Cardinals back in training camp all the way back in 1979, collapsed on the, the practice field in training camp and died later in the hospital that night, J.V. Kane. Um, I, I know that story, but to actually see it when the silks were on and the lights were bright on Monday night football and to see a football player on the ground and right. to know that CPR was being administered to him in a game, I, I, there are no words. I, and you could see it, guys. You could see it, the looks on the faces of his teammates, of course. And, and you knew the game was over when suddenly the Bengals players started coming out onto the field to console right. the Bills players that were actually out there on the field. That, that to me, is the first moment where I said, Oh my goodness! They're they're not they're they're done. The look on Josh Allen's face when he was crying, um, it, Joe Burrow trying to console him, 
Um, you, you know, it just was something you never see on a football field when the silks are on. And man, um, I'm so, I'm so thankful that he's allegedly getting better, and yet he's still in critical condition. Um, and we got to continue to pray for him, man. Let me tell you something. I saw and heard more than ever on ESPN, everything. People praying. Yeah. Man, I'm telling you what. People were going before God Almighty, the greatest force in the universe, God Almighty, and interceding, you know, for this young man. Hmm. Well... Huge. Let's, let's continue huge. that. Yep, it is. Yep. Let's let's continue that support. Let's continue the prayers, and let's continue that. You know, people can remember this this time not just for the bad times, but for the the times of when people come together and remember what that's like and being kind and loving to one another. And, and I know that well, you know I'm saying you know peace on earth, but I mean it. You know, and right. it's just it was nice to see all the people rally together for one cause. I just want to say the, the, the one thing that I, that struck me as well is how respectful uh, an opposing fan base was, basically. Yeah. You know? Um, oh, yeah. Especially that time of night. 50,000 plus people that have contributed money to um, DeMar's uh, charity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yes, they've, they've raised millions of dollars now. Yes. Um, for for uh, his charity, and it just was to me. It just reminded everybody. I, I think the respect that the Bengals fans were showing him, the the severity of what was going on, the shock of seeing a human being down on the ground, right. receiving nine minutes of CPR, um, in front of these silenced fans. Yes. Um, who I'm sure had an awful lot to drink before they even went in there, mm-hmm. and it was you could hear you could have heard a pin drop right. in that. Um, man, it just it was an odd situation, and it's one that um, you may never see again. In our That's life. quite possible, but I will and tell you, will, in Cincinnati, so that in that in Cincinnati at that moment, fellas, was a cry of the heart from the. Creature to his creator is what it was. All right. It really was, man. I'm telling you. Very, very powerful, very poignant, man. So So let me get poignant now and continue this on. Yes. And because this this is about the football. And I'm gonna go to uh did you really do this? And it's not a funny thing, but this is a cool thing. And Derry, I'm going back to you and I wanna see what you think of this because this was not your everyday position. Here's Wolfley on the on the wham. Watch him coming in motion. Same lineup as the flanker. Third down and goal and they set him in motion. Brister keeps it. No one to throw to. Near side fires. Incomplete. Intended for Terry O'Shea, the tight end. Now that was nineteen <laughs> you, you you went in there for the web. You were like an H-back, man. That's the first time I ever seen you in H-back. We were talking about Penny Sewell a couple of weeks ago, going to motion and, and running out to the flat for a pass. Why couldn't you do that? 
Because I, I well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Tom Moore, all right, you all know Tom Moore, <laughs> quarterback whisperer. He comes to me because late in my career, I started playing uh, goal line H-back slash tight end, right, later on towards the end of my career. So he comes, he says, how do you feel about having a pass thrown to you? And I looked at Tom right in the eye, man. I got serious. And I said, unless you can make tell those quarterbacks, unless you can make sure that it sticks in my face mask, don't throw it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. But it was fun. Now, the truth of the matter is, now you saw that I was the H-back and I went in motion, right? Tony Okin says that I pranced. I did not prance. I was in motion, okay? I just want that to be perfectly clear, all right? He accused me of prancing in the film room that day. First of all, I want to know why in the world Tom Moore would put you in motion for a land block in that situation when the snow was so bad and the footing was so bad. Well, I don't know. He simply called the play. You know okay. what I mean? But I will tell you, that wasn't the only one because that year, earlier, we had played in Miami in a torrential downpour where we were up. We were, I'm sorry, we went down to Miami. It was like almost 90 degrees. We were down 14 nothing in the first quarter. And then the skies opened up. It rained so hard that when you went to the sidelines, the water was up to your ankles. Embellishment to that story at all, right? You, no, you could not see that. In my, and Danny Marino will tell you to this day that if that if it hadn't rained, they'd have killed us. I mean, we were down fourteen nothing before the skies opened up. I mean, wow. we were just melting in that heat, like the Bills when they played down there earlier this year, and it was so hot. Only the Bills weren't melting like we were. We were like really melting, but it rained so hard and it got so deep. It was on the, oh. towards the sideline. It was just crazy. You know, there's one thing I, I've got to say is that for Brother Touch, they left her every any time from now on that I get mad at you, I'm just going to call you Prancer. <laughs> <laughs> it's done. It's done. Prancer. Yeah, you know what or I'm talking about. Vixen. <laughs> <laughs> that might oh, be you, okay. buddy. Oh. You know, and again, this year has been wild with all the people that passed away. But, yes. uh, you know, Mike Leach is a guy that I used to watch and, and really get a lot of things from him. And I thought this was really interesting because he was talking about offensive balance. And here's what he had to say with the offensive balance. And he said is what is balance is you have five skill positions and all five are contributing to the offensive effort in a somewhat equal fashion it's not 50 50 run pass it is all five skill positions equally contributing that's his definition of balance in your offense assist so he's saying quarterbacks wide receivers running backs offensive line and what tight ends could that be is that the five well, he's no he's saying the five skill positions that they're all contributing in the way of... okay but see, here's the point with the Hogs, they always say that's not a skilled position, and I say Blarney Stone. All right, you let me ask you this: You play offensive tackle, and on a third and ten, and you got oh, let's say a Reggie White over you. All right, you won't think that takes skill to stop a freight train like Reggie White. You know it. You know it. I mean, he's coming after you. It's going to look be. This is going to be bad if, if if you don't stop him somehow. It's like. It's like one time there was a young guy playing in, in, in position with Reggie over him, and one of our offensive line coaches is, is stopping the meeting and then watching the film, and he's telling this young offensive lineman, your ankle is bent 
too much. And I'm laughing and the crunch in the back. I'm going, he's got bigger problems than that. That's Reggie White on a third and ten on him. Forget the ankle. He, he's got bigger problems about to happen at the snap. You know, I'm going to just say so I'm going to leave it at alone after this. But, you know, I don't know if you can really call that a skill position when you're prancing on a wham block. <laughs> Yeah, you know what's funny about this? You two were the offensive linemen in this family, of course. You know, Craig, you, yes. you paved the way for the butt guts that are out right. there, all the other butt guts in this family. Uh, Dale, that, that would be you. I, of course, was felt. I was the runt of the litter. And at six foot, 218 pounds, playing fullback in the National Football League, man. Um,. There were many, many times I wish I had a big gut and a large butt because it would have helped me an awful lot running power. Boy, well, I guess because you had no butt. I didn't swear. That's right. I got no can whatsoever. You guys got all the butt in the family. And now, now, this is our theory. Dale and I had this theory. You used to sit at the dinner table. And you'd be like, going, eh, playing a little, little, I don't know, like make-believe friends or something, right. you know? Yes. You got things going on. You'd be, you'd be like humming, mm, eating your food. But it was so slow. Dale and I are like throwing it down, man. We're like killing it, right? <laughs> and you never got seconds. Dale and I got all the seconds yeah. and thirds. Yeah. That was it right there, man. That was the problem. I was up here <laughs> thinking about all these brilliant things, and you guys were eating. Interesting. <laughs> no, you know what? I think it's still that way. <laughs> but I'll tell you what else. There's something else that is still that way, brother. And I just, you know, I, I love, I love you on your Wolf and Luke show. And I just want to know what is this about? Because fighting has always been in your background. Fact that Jim Harbaugh's got a he's he's got a shelf life, man. And he's going to hit that expiration date, and you're going to say, eject. <laughs> well, that that is potentially another piece of the puzzle for all the unknowns with the Cardinals this offseason. Again, Cliff Kingsbury might just be the coach next year, but if they end up making a change or if they're looking for a big name, Jim Harbaugh potentially being out there maybe makes that more likely. We can we got plenty of time to get in the roster. We can do that tomorrow. Okay. If Most in fact, of the roster. they were ever to fire Cliff and hire Harbaugh, um, two years I'll be fighting Jim. Two years. I, I can't, okay? can't wait till the, a fist fight. The weekly Monday interviews. <laughs> uh, those will be fun. And I love Jim. <laughs> You'll be saying that as you guys are fighting. You'll be like, I love you, but I have to. I, I'm sorry. You know what? That was kind of like growing up. I love you, but I'm going to knock you out of here. <laughs> Listen, I, can I explain myself Please right here? Do so. I mean, uh, honestly, I think we all know Jim is a very, very intense guy, and I do. I want to just get the disclaimer out of the way. I love Jim Harbaugh. I really do. Jim Harbaugh and I actually have a past, and that's one of the reasons why that I'm sure Jim Harbaugh, who has a high intensity level and does grind on a lot of people <laughs> and a lot of people tell me no, that he's got a two, so. two year really <laughs> yeah right he does he's a very intense individual and he does grind on some people and it reminds me of Plattsville Wisconsin and playing against the Chicago Bears when the Cleveland Browns when I was playing with the Browns we went up there and we practiced against them in preseason because we're going to play a preseason game against them as well 
And we went to Plattsville to actually go ahead and have joint practices. And Jim Harbaugh, of course, was the quarterback up there. Well, Bernie Kozar comes up to me and says, Wolf, what do you say we go out with Jim Harbaugh tonight and have a pizza? He's, he wants to take me out to this pizza joint. You want to go? I said, yeah, I'll tag along. That'll be fine. So I go with Bernie Kozar and walk over to this place. It took us about 10, 15 minutes to walk there. I walk over to this place, and suddenly there's Harbaugh. Harbaugh's there, and he's at the bar, and he's talking to some young lady, of course, being very respectful at the whole time, and he was talking to this young lady, and um, the night went by, we were watching this football game, it was a Monday night, I was eating pizza and really enjoying the pizza in Plattsville, Wisconsin, and then all of a sudden it got up to, oh, I don't know, quarter to 11, and you know we had an 11 o'clock curfew in training camp right there. And I said, hey, Bernie, you know what? Jim's got the car. Tell Jim we got to leave right now. We got to leave right now because we got to get back. And Bernie's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. We do. We got to get back there. And this is for Bill Belichick, okay, when Belichick was the coach for the Cleveland Browns. And all of a sudden he goes up and, and hardball won't leave. Harbaugh will not leave. And it's like, Jim, come on, man. We got 11 o'clock. He said, we got, I got an 11 o'clock curfew too. What are you guys doing? Don't worry about it. We got plenty of time. All of a sudden, we get out of there five minutes to, five minutes to. Harbaugh drives in his, I'll never forget it, man. It was, it was a white convertible. And Harbaugh drives to his dorm and says, okay, boys, I'll see you. Our dorm is 300 yards across this open soccer field. No, no. no soccer field. No, we no. have to sprint it all the way across. Harbaugh drops us off, and here's me and Bernie Kosar sprinting across this dark open field, this soccer field, soccer fields, I should say, sprinting across it to get to our dorm. <laughs> Harbaugh, oh, he got in on time, and here we are. We came crashing through the front door, and suddenly there's a coach. There's a coach who is actually doing bed check. He sees us come crashing into the lobby, and it's 11.02. We're late. And he looked at us, and he said, okay, I didn't see you do it. <laughs> yeah. Shut up and get up there. And because of that, I, I think of Harbaugh. It's so, it's so Jim Harbaugh to say, you know what, hey, listen, I'm going to drive over here, and I'll get out, and I'll be fine. You guys run across the field to your dormitory, man. It just, I can, Harbaugh is an intense dude. He grinds on a lot of people, and everywhere he goes, for the most part, three, four years, Jim's going to be going somewhere else. Let me tell you something. That's worthy of a code red, what he did there. You pull a code red on him. I'm telling you what, I I, I I take the keys off him. I'm taking the car. <laughs> Boom, you're out of here, Jimbo. Of course, the worst thing was you had to watch Bernie run. I mean, Bernie's <laughs> truth. I was thinking that a couple of years Wow. Right. Hey, hey, Bernie, Bernie, you know I love you, dude. You're my boy. Yeah, I know. You always did love And we actually did enjoy going to his boat down there in the flats. If you remember that. Yep, yes. All right. Well, listen, now, since we're not covering many subjects tonight, we're just going to keep this rolling uh, through this. Just keep and, rolling, brother. Yeah, that's all there is. That's all we're going to do is just keep smiling and, and having fun. And this, to me, was kind of cool. 
And I saw it over a couple weeks. First with the Bills, the quarterback sneak with the tight end, and then, of course, with the Bears this last weekend with the tight end coming up. And it's really evolutionizing. I always said, you know, I hate the shotgun, fourth and inches, and what they're coming up with. I like these trick plays. I I think the NFL could use more of this uh, innovative play calling. You see him, he's Boston Docs is going to go ahead. Coleman on the Jets, that was fourth and one right there. That was short. I mean, honestly, he's coming down. He's going to do QB sneak, and that happens. I mean, you're just making that up as, as you go along. And then, of course, you see here uh, with Justin Fields getting the big run, turning him into a running back. Now, I know you don't want to see your quarterback turn into a running back, but they're doing some really interesting things here. I like it. There's no doubt about it, first of all. Shame on that dude that tried to pull a Troy Palomalu and did it unsuccessfully. That's all bad timing. You know, Troy was the master at that. When Troy did that the very first time down in Tennessee, I'm telling you what, I was like, I couldn't believe it. To watch that, the long-haired, flying Hawaiian human crash test dummy that is Troy Palomalu, he was just magnificent. The time he comes over the top, he goes, he nailed Joe Flacco one time, you know, when, when he was with the Ravens. And so I all I can say is, you know what, um, the innovative stuff that's coming up now is interesting because there's there's kind of this yin and yang. There's a lot of going back to power football, but now you've also got this wide open type of uh, you know thought process that leads to a lot of interesting things. I mean, I was just just watching the Ravens. Okay, the Ravens had this unique animal named Patrick Ricard. All right. Yes. He's, a, he's a fullback. He's an H back. He's an inline tight end. He's played nose tackle. He's 300 pounds. All right. They take him and they'll run that pin and pull counter trap. All right. Now he'll go in motion and he will pull and they'll snap the ball along with one of the guards or center. They are shoulder to shoulder coming at the end man on the line. And you've got the one of the tackles as a trailer on the backside. It's like a triaxle dump truck coming at you if you're the last man on the line. I mean, you know, it's it's like Max said one time. He says, "All you can do is log roll, just tuck and roll, baby," because you, know? <laughs> you don't want to get killed in that pileup. But they are doing a lot of innovative things. They use that Patrick Ricard as a scoop blocking the second guy with the center. How do you do that? Yeah. It's a fullback, and he they scoop block with him. And in court, and uh, Linder, Linderbaum, the, the Tyler Linderbaum, the setter, just unique stuff. Just in that instance alone, much less what you just showed us, Dale. See, for me too, Soda Papa. Let me just jump in and say I love it. I love the blending of the old and the new. I talk about it all the time on my radio show. I do. I love to see. Listen, I understand. I don't want to just see under center. I don't. I don't want to just see a quarterback under center. I don't want to see the quarterback in the shotgun. I want to see that. You know what else? I want to see the quarterback in the pistol. I want to see him under center. I want to see him in the pistol. I want to see him in the shotgun. I want to use it all. This this creative um, innovation that is going on, I absolutely love it. But you cannot, you cannot get away from, from this one cold hard fact. And that is football is an aggressive, physical, nasty game. It's not about tricking people. It's about trucking people. And that's the problem right now. I think you can go too far with the new age stuff where it is more about tricking somebody. You're getting away from the base essence of the game. 
which is to truck somebody. You have to keep the physicality in the game of football. How do you do that? You run physical schemes. How do you run physical schemes? You get physical players who actually enjoy the physicality running those physical schemes. You got to do both. I want to see it both ways, not just one. You know, that is so wild because you're leading right into the next subject. And I know, Terry, you're going to love this because you called it. But when you sit there and, and you are talking about this physicality of the game, you have to say, what have the Steelers that were, I think, were 2-6 and six at one time and, and now are about 500, what have they been doing to go ahead, to come back? And here it is that you see somebody called an exorcist. <laughs> Najee Harris is running possessed tonight. That was you know, Chris Collinsworth. And Najee Harris is running with intensity, with, with uh, a focus, a nastiness, and so is the offensive line. And as I told Coach Nalen today in the in the Wolfman's call that we did, because we were talking about that, Ronnie, bringing back the good old stuff and meshing it with the good new stuff. Yes. And seeing where that can go. But what Nachi's just, the offensive line, Jerry, go ahead, man, because you've got to be loving this. i got to love it. You know it. I mean, let's face it. And and it's not I don't I don't even think of him being running possessed. We call him the Burning Man. You know he's just burning up. He's you know he, he, the the guys or Max even refers to him. And Max Starks, my co-host on the uh, on the show that we do uh, Wolf and Starks in the locker room. All right, Max refers to it as the Angry Man. You know he's running angry that sort of thing. But to me, you know they have that thing out in Utah, the Burning Man. I, you know, and I think that's just kind of like in my mind that that encapsulates what Najee's done, and it's only done it on two things. Number one, the offensive line is coming together. You know, and this is something we talked about from the beginning and through the whole season. These five guys have all played together. They've not had lost any time. Knock on wood. Okay. So the fact is this offensive line is growing. It's, it's getting stronger and they're taking people off the ball. We saw the best example of it against the Baltimore Ravens. They took some dudes off the ball. I mean, walked them off the line of scrimmage the way they should be escorted backwards. You know, I mean, that's what it's about. It's about people moving. Now, you put couple that with Najee running so very hard. Really, I got a feeling his foot's feeling a lot better. If you remember, he had a metal plate in his shoe for the first half of the season, basically. I think the foot's got something to do with it. Then I think you add Jalen Warren, this young guy who is just – the guy comes in, he's taken now probably – 12 to 14, 15 uh, touches a game off of Najee. Najee had 22 carries, 111 yards. Uh, Jalen comes in, he takes 12 carries, a couple pass receptions, something like that. But the point being is I think Najee's a lot fresher. He's a lot stronger. So throughout the game, this guy was pushing the pile like a madman. And I just loved it because it was a physicality that was lacking the first time out with the whole offense. But this offense under Kenny Pickett, and, and Matt Canada, which, you know, a lot of people in Pittsburgh get riled up about the <laughs> offensive coordinator, but baloney. Just hang with it. This offense is really turning a corner and doing some good stuff, and it starts with the hogs up front. Remember, fat is where it's at. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> Pony, go ahead. Just continue on that one. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about that, except I do. I love watching Najee Harris run the ball, yeah. man. It, it is very, very cool. I James Conner has really um, flexed here over the last few weeks as well. 
Um, I, I love what the Arizona Cardinals are doing. They're they're blending the old and the new. They are they're putting their quarterback under center. They're they're putting him in the gun. They're they're using the piss. They're they're doing everything that I said, and I and I love it. I, I love seeing it. And also too, shout out to the Atlanta Falcons and Arthur Smith and what he does as well because they do the exact same thing. The blending of the old and the new is there. Now listen, do they need to go out and get better players? Yeah, in some areas they do. Do they need to go out and execute better on certain plays? Yes, they do. Do they need to do that with more consistency? Yes, the Atlanta Falcons do, and so do the Arizona Cardinals. They do. Yet at the same time, as an analyst, I love watching it. I love calling it. It's awesome to see it. It's the blending of the old and the new, and it's what the entire league basically is doing. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I believe there, Derry, that Najee's the first person uh, to get over 100 yards against the Ravens? Yes. Uh, this is the first 100-yard rushing by uh, against the Ravens. They were third in the league going in the uh, into the game. Uh, they had given up – they were averaging giving up, like, over the last three games, maybe 10 points a game. You know, I mean – if you notice, scoring's been down. Scoring's been down all yeah. through the league, man. The defenses have just been performing better, or the offenses are performing not quite as well. Either way, but the Steelers went in and did something I didn't, I wasn't convinced that they could do, and that was to physically maul the Ravens at their own game. Think about it. You know, we go into that stadium, and first of all, they did a laser light show, and they honored the late great Franco Harris, which it was very cool. They did a very honorable thing, and the and the fans of Baltimore were very, very cool in, in honoring Franco. But they had this laser show going on, and for a moment I thought I was at a Pink Floyd concert, man. I was like, whoa, you know, your eyeballs started like... Flashback! Yeah, exactly. But the Steelers came out, and they really took it to the Ravens, and they grounded and pounded it. That's the first 198 yards that was the most the Steelers had rushed for since 1997. All right, wow. so... It's it was terrific. It was a great job, and there was what happened there. And I know we're probably not supposed to get into the game stuff so deeply right now, but I got to run with it. There was chunk plays galore. The Steelers went into that game the least amount of chunk plays, fifteen yard plus chunk plays, and yet you had Najee running for fifteen. You had George Pickens make this monster catch over the middle for fifteen, and it's like Stephen Sims, the, the slot receiver, little guy. All of a sudden, he turns around and he goes, oh, you think that's great? Here, hold my beer and watch this. And he makes a 28-yard catch that is, like, awesome, right? Just awesome. You're like, oh, I can't believe that. Yeah. And a lot of good rolled out of this game. It was it was really high stuff, and it was good to see Kenny yes. Pickett and the rest of the offense going at it. And what they have done is taking a rookie quarterback when they didn't have an offensive line, in my opinion, that was effective in the beginning of the season, and they had to turn it to edge. They had to get an edge to give the Steelers any type of chance for competition. They had to get physical. You know, they had to get it done. Jalen Warren and it has been a huge. I remember yep. seeing him the third or fourth game of the season, and Tomlin was like, man, this kid's good. This kid is tough. And I look at that, and then I go and I flip it, and I say, you really want to know, because I, I listen to both your radio shows, because that's what you can do in today's technology. I can go to Arizona and listen to Phony Boy, or you up in Pittsburgh. And the Steelers and the Lions play together. That's what you said, right, Derry? The yep. Lions play together. And you look at the Cardinals, and they haven't played at all. 
And, and the people call up in there, and they're like, well, why aren't they doing this in the offense and then moving it? Do you know what it's like to play next to five different guys all the time when you're supposed to be one unit, five individual pieces working together as one? And doing that against your great NFL defensive ends and, and the linebackers and, and the 350-pound nose guards. And, and so you're looking at it, and I'm saying the opposite of what's going on, God bless the Steelers for having that ability to stay healthy in that line and be able to do that. But then again, is you got to look at the Cardinals and, and you wonder, say, why is this happening? Why are they yeah. not successful? And that's exactly why. I, mean, I want to point that out because it's exactly so why. And, and other fans that come up and say, that's no, you don't want to know the reality of it. You just want success. Right. You don't care what the right. truth is. Right, and so exactly. I'm going to get off my pulpit right here, but that is a perfect <laughs> example of what an offensive line can do that stays together, and then what happens when you have injuries and not working together. And right now, Soda, let me just say there are a lot of people that are watching this and they're saying, "Yes, we need more of that guy." <laughs> you want the fighter? You the one who fight Jim? Hey, listen! If you're going to fight Jim Harbaugh, more of you going off? Uh, yeah, hey, there listen, you go. If you're going to fight Jim Harbaugh, there, buddy. I'm taking his brother. Oh, you're taking <laughs> <laughs> just because I got to match up with him, just so I can help you hey, out. So, so we might have to bone up, man. The Harbaugh's hey. are rough now. It would not be the first time we went back to back out of a place. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. Now, listen, I got two things. We got to finish up here uh, I, I, with our two calls because we've done it every time, and we're not getting out of here until we do it. So, uh, Pony Boy, this is you and Dave Pash talking about J.J. Watt. The cards did not give up. They did lose the game to the Falcons, but they fought really hard. Your Hall of Famer playing just two more games in the National Football League, and again, making his presence felt, getting the takedown of Ritter. Well, how about that? Working a two-man stunt to the left of Ritter, the X-stunt, and J.J. Watt gets his 10-and-a-half sack on the season. Sixth time in his career, he's been in double-digit sacks. He had 10 sacks the last three years combined. He's got 10-and-a-half this year. Guys, let me just say that J.J. Watt right now is having one of um, his best seasons. Uh, okay, yeah, it's not the 20-sack season, okay? I understand that. But J.J. Watt, um, watching him play in his 12th year right now, 10 and a half sacks. I cannot even tell you how many tackles for loss. The guy still has the burst. He still has the ability. He can beat you at the point. He can beat you from the backside. Whatever it is that he needs to do to get it done, he can still get it done. He's on top. Physically, right now, he's on top of his game. Now, listen, the last couple of years, from an injury perspective, it's been a little rough for J.J. Watt. There's no doubt about it. But he's been way healthier this year than he was last year, of course. He's made his way through this season in the fact that here it is, his 12th season, and he's saying he's done, um, it's truly remarkable. Now, now, can I just say this? I love J.J. I love J.J. Watt. But having said that, I wonder how many guys have we seen before that said they were going to retire on top, walk away, and stay away? Have we seen that? How many guys walk away and stay away from the game? I, I don't know, guys. Um, it's a hard thing to do. Every professional athlete has got to see his own athletic mortality. 
He's got to see it. You've got to go to hit that button and you push that button and there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And suddenly you say, man, I'm done. I'm pretty much done because I went to hit that button and it's always responded and there's nothing there. Um, You have to see your own athletic mortality, I think, to stay away. And I wonder if that is going to be the case with JJ. Is he going to go into broadcasting for a year and say, you know what? I can still play. I know I can still play. My last season in the league was 10 and a half sacks, and I miss playing. Now, listen, he's got a lot of different things that are going on. He just had a child, okay, had his first child. Um, So maybe he's looking forward on that. I don't know. But um, he's going out on top, guys. And there's not a lot of professional athletes that retire on top and stay away. Let me ask you this. Who was the Dallas tight end that retired, went to Monday Night Football, then unretired and played the next year? Who was that? I'm trying to remember that guy. Oh, Man, oh, one of those, you know, he was, was, there he was Jason Witten. Was yeah, it Jason Witten? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Then, yes. all right. I mean, that's what he did. He unretired. You know, yeah. he came back. Well, um, I'm thinking of Tom Brady, guys. Oh, yeah. I'm Tom Brady. But see, Tom Jason Brady. Witten sat out a year. Yeah, know? right. You know? I'm thinking Tom Brady retired, and, and I, I'm sure Tom meant it when it was going down, just like I'm sure J.J. means it right now. I'm well, sure me, he means it. Let but, me ask you this. Let who me knows? ask you this. Guys from our era, all right, the medieval era. Remember? Medieval, when orcs and elves ruled in Middle Earth, okay? Well, that's the era we come from, okay? I mean, mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. type of thing. You know how we, I, I, I think most guys in our era, you decide I can't do it when I know that I can't make it through another training camp. It's the training camps that were always, in my mind, the Chuck Knoll training camps, the true north. You know, with Chuck Knoll, it was never about making the team. It was always about can I survive the moment. You know, mm-hmm. if I can survive this moment, then I got tomorrow. If there's enough tomorrows, then I'll worry about making the team. But right now, it's just sheer survival. That's all you're trying to do. And at the end of it all comes the fact to me, at least for me, I know I I can't make it through another training camp, and therefore I need to retire. I just can't go any further. Well, those are all great points. And, Pony Boy, you you probably got some good stories about Gene Stallings that we'll have to head to a different time. But I want to finish up with this, and that is the making of a legend or the legends is always about timing and making it right with timing. They trail 13-9, and they're at the Baltimore 10 with a third and long. And right now, Billy, this is again how quarterbacks are made, coming through in moments like this. Pickens has been, I'm sorry, Pickett has answered the bell last week, this week, throughout the season in many cases, but this is part and parcel of the learning process. Pickett in the gun. Empties the set, third and eight at the 10, gets the snap. He looks, chased out of the pocket, steps out of a tackle, throws it for the goal line, touchdown, Najee Harris! Najee from 10 yards out, and Pickett did a Houdini to make that play possible. And again, this is also how legends begin, Billy, is when guys come through in these important moments when they're, the pressure is not too much and the big stage is not too much. Pickett did a great job of evading the rush, keeping his eyes down the field, and finding Najee puts it right where Najee can grab that baby and score. What a great, great play by Kenny Pickett. 
Go ahead. And just in summarizing the NFL, per the NFL, Kenny Pickett is the first rookie to throw back-to-back, throw a touchdown in the last minute of the game and back-to-back wins in NFL history. Yeah. Wow. The guy is just really coming on. Well, you said that. You said this guy was getting better all season long, man. You just watch him, and he's growing. He's like a sponge. He's learning. You know, there's a lot of things he's got to get better at, I'm sure. But the fact of the matter is it's the growth of a rookie. And this is the process of a rookie quarterback undergoing the rigors of of NFL testing. Because what is every week but an NFL uh, defensive coordinator testing you? Going to see what you can do. What can you handle? The Ravens were spinning their safeties at the end, the backside. You know what I'm talking about. Dropping from too high to one high, one low, uh, whatever, or two even sometimes both coming down uh, per just before the snap or after the snap. So there's a lot for Kenny to be learning, and he's, again, getting passing marks or great passing marks in, uh, in the games. And it's about an offensive line that's going to kick your can and yes. stare you in the eyes, baby. And, Julia, and Najee Harris or Jalen Warren, everybody doing their job and making it a little bit easier on uh, the, the rookie quarterback who was just named for the rookie of the year for the Steelers for the Joe Green Award, was it not? You know, I didn't even hear that. Was that true? <laughs> well, that's what I heard. We'll see about it next week. You can i got to believe it so. And I'm going to say this. My brothers, I love you. As professional as always, I really enjoyed tonight. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, again, we, we are thinking about DeMar Hamlin and all that's going on. We'll continue that. But for me and for the Prancer, okay, <laughs> we say good night. And, of course, Derry or Pony, say good night to your mother. Love you, Hoopy. Love you, Hoopy. And love you, Hoopy. And love so you I guys. guess that love you. That is going to be the the title of the show, the Prancer. I didn't prance. I didn't. <laughs> That's uh, good, guys. Uh, <laughs> you know, he also accused me of sashaying too. <laughs> yeah, right. I've never, I no, I'm, to admit that one. I've never seen you sashay. <laughs> yes, and you so, said I would never <laughs> want to. 